Sometimes when we come to church and we sing, we don't sing the truth. And our words can become flattery. Kisses of flattery. Look what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 78. And notice please verse number 36. The Bible says in Psalm 78 verse number 36, Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth. And they lied unto him with their tongues. A New Testament equivalent of this would be having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Denying in secret, denying with my actions what I have said with my lips. It's easy to praise the Lord and say what you're going to do for Him or what you have done for Him, but lining it up with your life is something that is altogether different. And requires deep consecration and real honesty. I want to say tonight that that attempting to flatter God is a dreadful sin that every Christian must forsake. We begin by deceiving ourselves, then then we lie to others and get good at it. And sadly, we even attempt to flatter or deceive the Almighty. Now, this was an indictment in Psalm chapter 78 against, against Israel and specifically against Ephraim. Would you notice what the Bible says in Psalm 78 and verse 1? Let's just kind of go through the passage. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. This is a a masculine or a meditation of Asaph, the singer and the great psalm writer. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And watch verse number eight. And might not be as their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Now he's saying this, this is often used as praise and it should be. It's, it's we've heard and we've known and our fathers have told us and we're going to set ourselves in a right course and I want to say whatever has been in the past of your life whatever has been as far as past generations in your life that's been wrong there's no sense in repeating that wrong there's no sense in continuing that bondage there's no sense in carrying that bondage into the next generation now is the time to break the chains now's the time to throw off the shackles now's the time to give ourselves completely and fully to the Lord but notice notice here he says we've known and we've heard and we've heard from the generations to past and now we're going to pass it on to the generations to come that they might know even the 
the children which should be born. In other words, we want to set our hearts aright so that we can pass on truth to the generation that is yet to come, that they might set their hope in God and that they would not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and they might not be as our fathers. Now look here, I believe in honoring previous generations. I spoke in Sunday school of the verse that says, Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. And there is an important truth there to love your family and that your family should be very important and you should honor particularly your father and your mother and the older generation and the hoary head. But when we see wrong in the, wrong, in the former generation or in people that have even been a part of our kind of churches that is plain flat out wrong, it's not right to look the other way. It is not right to stick our head in the sands and ignore it. It is not right to continue to perpetuate that wrong by our own willful deception. It's not right. And it's time to acknowledge flattery for what it is. Tonight I want to preach to you on this subject, the kisses of flattery at their worst. The kisses of flattery at their worst. And let's just look down as we continue reading. This is a powerful passage. Psalm 78 is a powerful passage and you should do well to study the verbs of this passage. Verbs tell you a great deal in the Bible of what they are. Look at the look at this passage and see how God describes this. Verse 9, he specifically indicts the children of Ephraim. Being armed, verse 9, and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. In other words, they were cowards. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. And forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. You could go through and highlight all the verbs and you'd have a whole Bible study for a month or two. Verse number 12. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the waters to stand up as a, stand as an heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him. Now if I were you studying this passage... I would circle the works of the Lord and then I would underline the works of Israel. Or you could highlight in one color the works of God and in another color the response of God's people. Verse number 17, they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Wow. In other words, right in the midst of miracles, they're indicting God. They're doubting God. They're casting it back in his teeth, not receiving it with gratitude, not saying, well, if God did it here, he can do it. If he did it there, he can do it here. Not if God did it then, he can do it now. No, they're right in the midst of the miracles, they're doubting him and questioning him. Some of it came from the mixed multitude that had come out of Egypt. Some of it came from their own fleshly hearts. Some of it came from their own forgetfulness. Did you know flesh leads you to amnesia? Do you know that? Flesh leads you to forget God's goodness and forget His grace and forget His mercy. Flesh leads to all kinds of trouble. Look at verse number 18, verse 20. Behold, He smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can He give bread also? Can He provide flesh for His people? We're not just satisfied with the, with the bread and the manna. We want flesh to eat. Numbers chapter 11. Therefore the Lord... 
heard this and, and was wroth. A fire, so, uh, so a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and, and, and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat in the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens and by his power he brought in the south wind and rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea and he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitation so they did eat and were well filled for he gave their own gave them their own desire you think that would be enough god brought water from the rock he rained corn from heaven he gave them manna angels food he even when they improperly went about asking for flesh to eat, he brought them in a whole bunch of quail and doves to, quail to eat. But it wasn't enough. You see, I want to tell you something about the flesh. The flesh leads to amnesia, but the flesh is never satisfied. Ever. You, you give the flesh a little and it wants more. You give it more and it wants even more. You give it even more and it wants a, a bunch. You give it a bunch and it wants still more. That's the way the flesh works every single time. You don't live by feeding the flesh. You die when you feed the flesh. Notice what the Bible says in verse number uh, 29. So they did eat and were filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. But while their meat was in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this... They sin still and believe not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him. And they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth. And they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant, but he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders. Egypt and his wonders in the fields of Zoan and had turned their rivers into blood and their floods and they could not drink that they could not drink he sent divers sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them he gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locust he destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost he gave up their cattle also to the hail speaking about the judgments against the Egyptians he, he gave up their cattle uh, also unto the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts he cast them upon the fierceness Oh, he cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence and smote all the firstborn of Egypt and the chief, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain 
mountain which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them. Now he's speaking about the victory that God gave Jericho and divided them an inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were not turned aside. They, they, were, they were turned aside like a deceitful bull, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of, tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He gave his people over also unto the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine, he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high places, palaces like the earth which he hath established forever. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes. Great with young he brought him to feed Jacob, his people in Israel, his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. I'll tell you the integrity of our God and the goodness of our God contrasted with the fickleness and the shallowness and the rebellion and the, un, the, the unsettledness and the lack of consecration of Israel is stark. It is stunning. And really it is a reflection of our own fickle hearts. We can go the same way they went. Woe to the person, man or woman, young or old in this place that would say, well, these Israelites were rotten. Wow, Ephraim was no good. Cowardice and carnality and sin and flesh, they were no good. And look at the way they flattered God. But we would do best if tonight we look in the mirror. Because this is the mirror of God's word to reflect ourselves. And I think that the reason that the man in James chapter 1 deceives his own heart is because he doesn't know how to look in the mirror. Preacher, I'm quite quite sure that not a lot of people in our churches know how to look in the mirror now i know we men don't because <laughs> we men don't know how to look in the mirror we ought to take a lesson from you ladies on how to look in the mirror men are you aware of this fact that ladies carry mirrors with them do you know that they have a mirror app on their phone or they just turn it on selfie mode and they look in the mirror. They look in the mirror in the car. They look in the mirror. They, they look in the mirror in the bathroom. Ladies bathrooms have a lot more mirrors than men's bathrooms do. And that's for good reason. Uh, that's by design. And when a lady looks in the mirror, she looks in the mirror carefully and attentive to detail. We men would do well to learn from a lady how to look in the mirror. By the way, in James chapter 1, when it's talking about a man deceiving his own heart, he says, uh, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. It's an easy temptation in a Bible preaching church like this one to... Be a hearer of preaching. This church loves preaching. It's obvious that this church loves preaching. This church does preaching. It's obvious that this church does preaching. It's very tempting in a church like this to hear preaching and not do anything with it. Right. Right. To even come forward. And that's about as far as it gets. 
Now, I'm for people coming forward, and I thank God for people that will respond in an invitation. But I like what Harold Seitler says. I don't care how high you jump and how, how loud you shout. As long as when you hit the ground, you're walking a straight line. And, and that's right. Uh, it's important that we not flatter God by our form of godliness and by our loud shouts and our loud amens. It's important that we not flatter God by our form of godliness and then with our lives deny the power thereof. So I want us just to divide our thoughts into four sections tonight. And I want us to understand what this thing of flattering God and kisses of flattery are all about. Uh, Ephraim was guilty of this and one person called it feigned obedience. Another person called it, it, it described this people's superficial and transient repentance. Such seeking after God neither goes deep nor lasts long. Thus the end of it is only lip reverence proven to be false by life and soon ended. Now let's consider these kisses of flattery. Number one, they only provide temporary cover. Would you say that with me tonight? They only provide temporary cover. What do they only provide? Temporary cover. Just temporary cover. Now, if you want to temporarily cover your sin or your uh, denial of God's power, then, then just go ahead on with your flattering lips. By the way, flattering lips don't ever receive flattering praise in the Bible. Flattering lips are deceit. Flattering lips are not straightforward. Flattering lips are covering something else. They just provide temporary cover. Listen to the Bible. Psalm 12, 2. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. Proverbs 29, 5. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. In other words, you beware of someone that comes along and has got all kinds of, 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 all kinds of excessive praise for you. And they hardly know you. You beware of something like that. Now, we ought to be encouraging to each other. We ought to be willing to pat somebody on the back. We ought to be encouraging each other as we go along. But it ought be genuine and sincere. Not put on. Not so that we can get something. And you understand the definition of flattering is building something up, someone up so that you can get something from them. You understand that. My dad has, has, my dad and mom are 89 and 88, so keep on, keep on, keep on, keep it on. My dad taught my older sisters, if you want something from me, you ask. Don't flatter me. That's right. Boy, dad, you look like you've lost a few pounds lately. Can I have 10 bucks? Now, a girl especially has a way with doing that. Because there's something about a daughter that gets to the heart of dad. But that's bad habits. Those are bad habits. Listen to the scripture. Uh, Isaiah 29, 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. I believe Bible-believing Baptist churches, let me just say independent fundamental Baptist churches, have gone down a wrong road for a lot of years, in about 40 years, and we've taught the fear of God by the precept of men. 
In other words, men's traditions, men's ideas, men's thoughts. And I'm all for teaching strong holiness. But it ought to be Bible-based and it ought to be sincere from the top to the bottom and from the front to the back and from side to side. But it ought to be based on the Word of God, not the precept of men. Then if that's the precept of men that teaches the fear of God, there's not a bit of difference between us and the Pharisees. Not a bit of difference. Uh, We ought not teach the fear of God by the fear of men. The Bible says in Ezekiel 33, 30-32, Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as thy people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but do them not. You see, in the book of James chapter 1, it says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth his face and goeth, beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Do you know what that word for man is? Not the general word for man. It's the actual word for the male. The man that deceives himself is like the male that beholds himself in a glass, goeth his way and forgetteth what manner of man he was. Why? Because men don't look in a mirror like women. A man looks in the mirror, he says, yep, yep, still as good looking as ever. In fact, I don't really need much improvement today. I've got it down. And he might be a little bit more attentive to detail than his brother, but most men look in the mirror like that, yeah. If you're a teenager or you're a young adult, you're kind of flexing. I've still got it. And then you leave, and you don't look in a mirror for the rest of the day. I mean, you look in the rearview mirror, and you look in your driver's mirrors, maybe, unless you're Pastor Shiflet. I mean, you look along, you know, and, uh, and you, 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 look, you, you might look in a mirror in the bathroom, but the mirror isn't the real focus. But why? It, he says, the man that deceives his heart and doesn't do God's word is like unto a male man. Not post office. Male gender. He beholds himself, goes his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I think sometimes, Pastor, this is the way we've learned to look at the mirror. Husband and wife sitting in church, and the pastor is shucking the corn. And the wife says, good. I hope she nails. I hope he nails my husband. Boy, he's been a low account, no account bum lately. You know the way she's looking in the mirror? Like that. Like I used to do with my watch face, trying to shine the light in my dad's eyes while we're driving down the road. That's how we're looking in the mirror. Some of you parents, when the come to church pastor starts just cutting, cutting loose and he's preaching and, 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 and you parents are saying, mm-hmm, listen up, kids. And I'm sure there's 
always a need. But let me just say something. When I come to church, it's not my brother and it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I've got plenty of my own problems to fix. And I'll tell you, if you, first of all, in your marriage especially, if you try to live your life trying to fix your mate, well, good luck with that. Just, I hope you have a wonderful life. <laughs> first of all, it's not going to happen. Second of all, it's going to make your life and everybody else's life real miserable, real quick. How about just love them as they are? How about love them and expect, how about loving them with praise of what you know they are capable of? Instead of, instead of negative comments about what they're not doing, how about giving them all kinds of praise about what they are doing and what you know they will do because they're such a wonderful spouse? Well, that'll change the atmosphere in the home. From bad to good. You try to fix them all the time. Fix this and fix that. And nag here and fuss there. And, and get upset about that. I've tried it. I've been married now for a good number of years. And I've tried that. It never works. Never. Never. You know why? I'm trying to do like this with my Bible. I remember one time my wife was having a meltdown over something. She is one of the, she is the sweetest angel I know. And she was having a meltdown. I said, you know what your problem is? It was early in our marriage. I said, you need to read your Bible. She said, I already did. <laughs> well, that, that didn't end real well. <laughs> I can just tell you, the, the fact of the matter is, is, is that when we're always trying to point the mirror at everybody else, nobody gets helped. You don't get helped. They don't get helped. And the fact is that we're, we're just back to square one. So this is total corruption. They honor me with their words, but their heart is far from me. Listen, uh, listen to what the Bible says when it speaks about the Antichrist. The Bible speaks about the Antichrist. And it says in Daniel chapter 11, 21, 32, 34, In his estate shall stand up a vile person, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries now when they shall fall they shall be hoping with a little help but many shall cleave to them with flatteries Whew. wow what's the bible saying the bible saying that it is this whole thing of flattery is wrong and wicked the scripture says the people draw nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me jesus said in matthew 15 and verse number eight ye hypocrites well did isaiah prophesy of you that they draw nigh with their mouth but their heart is far from me someone said when the pressure is removed these individuals that are lying against god return to their habitual position as all such penitents do. So someone else said, bad were they at best, false on their knees, liars in their prayers. Mouth worship must be very detestable to God when disassociated from the heart. Someone else said, piety produced by the damp of sorrow and the heat of terror is of mushroom growth. It is rapid in its upspringing. They inquired early after God, but it is a mere unsubstantial fungus of unabiding excitement. Number one, it's just temporary cover. It'll only last for so long. Number two, it's total corruption. We're talking about heart situation now. It's total corruption. God at the judgment seat is not going to judge you, what you have on. He's going to have what you have in. God is not going to judge this, the quality of your perfume. He's going to judge the quality of your heart. It's total corruption, this false piety. Listen to the scripture, Psalm 5 and verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. 
Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Psalm 36, 2 through 3, for he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. Psalm 62 and verse number 4, the Bible says they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. Proverbs 7 and verse 21, speaking of the strange woman, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. And we have two Bible examples for that. One is Genesis chapter 39. The other is Judges chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 39, you have Potiphar's wife, and she with her words was trying to woo and flatter and build Joseph up. And finally she grabbed hold of his coat, and he didn't care. He left his coat in her hands and left. He'd rather lose his coat than his character. And he got out of there. He wasn't yielding to her flattering lips and her fair speech. He wasn't a simple man. But in Judges 16, you find a simple man. A strong man, but a simple man. His name was Samson. And the Bible says she came after him day after day. So did Potiphar's wife. She came day after day. The one yielded, the other didn't. Why? The one was keen on flattering lips. Why? Because he was spending time every day with the truth. The other was not so keen and not so discerning about flattering lips and believed the flattering. Why? Because he was not so, he had not spent so much time with the truth. Proverbs 2.16, the Bible says the word of God is there to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Do you see, girls, why it's not good to get your way by flattery? The Bible says in Proverbs 6, 24, the word of God is there to keep thee from the evil one, evil woman from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. And there the Bible says in Psalm Isaiah 59, 1 through 3, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath uttered perverseness. What's he saying? He's saying this whole thing of flattering God and flattering others is total corruption. Would you say it with me? It is total corruption. Would you say it again? It is total corruption. Spurgeon said other kings love flattery, but the king of kings abhors it. Another preacher said their godly speech was cant, their praise, mere wind, their prayer, a fraud, their skin deep repentance was a film so thin to conceal the deadly wound of sin. One said they appeased him with their mouth. They sought to win him over to themselves with their fair speeches. With their tongues they played the hypocrite to him. Their heart, however, was not sincere towards him and they proved himself not stead- themselves not steadfast in their covenant relationship with him. I want you to notice number three, the tragic consequence of the kisses of flattery. There is a tragic consequence. You could tell me about some stories. And I could tell you tonight about some stories of people that drew near to God with their lips, but their heart was far from Him. They they drew near to others that walked with God with their lips, but their heart was far from God. They had a good look on the outside, but they were corrupt on the inside. Listen to the tragic consequence that flattering lips and lying to God and others brings. By the way, let me just pause and say in Joshua, the Bible says we're to worship God in sincerity and in truth. And the same thing is true in the book of John chapter 4 when God says that God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in the spirit and in truth. And the Father seeketh such to worship him. One thing that's been such a refreshing blessing to me the last few days is to see the worship 
going on in the pre-service and seeing the people lift their hands and praise to God and lift their voices and praise to God. That better continue if this church is going to continue to know God's blessing. Because whenever there is hypocrisy that creeps in and it creeps in one heart at a time and one step at a time and one thought at a time and one church member at a time and the only person that can fix you is you, you and the Lord. You hearing me? You, so I can't fix you. Pastor can't fix you. All we can do is give you some counsel and some places to go and the one that can help you. The Holy Spirit living in you is the only one that can fix the problem within. He's, he's the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. He's the Holy Spirit. He's not going to guide you into error. And he's not going to be okay with error and insincerity and falseness in your heart. Listen to the tragic consequence of this thing of flattering and lying to God. Job 17, 5, He that speaketh flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children shall fail. Psalm 12, 3, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Proverbs 26, 28, A lying tongue hateth, listen to this, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Think of Judas in Mark 14, 10 and 43. He's Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went into the chief priest to betray him unto them. Verse 11, when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray them, betray him. And immediately, verse number 43, while he yet spake, Jesus speaking now in the garden, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given him them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. Someone said he kissed the door to heaven and stepped straight into hell. And he did. I wonder if there were 12 following Jesus and one was seeking to betray him. I wonder if there's someone here tonight seeking to betray him. Going along with all of it. Betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. A dinner for three or four at Cracker Barrel. Three or four nice dress shirts for a man. That's what he betrayed the Son of God for. 30 pieces of silver. Not much. But I've known some to betray him for a lot less. Kiss the Son of God. Master, Master. You see, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you can use flattering lips with the Lord and flattering lips and you can deceive many. No one suspected Judas. No one, it's possible even here that no one suspected him until they saw him say, Master, Master. I think of Jesus' words when he said, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? That's exactly what Judas Iscariot did. He said, Master, Master, Adonai, Adonai, Lord, Lord, why do, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Are you hearing it? Well, someone said it was either because you don't know him or you don't love him. I think of this. I think of Judas Iscariot, the tragic consequences. Think of this, Acts chapter number 5 and verse 4. Peter said, while, he said to Ananias and Sapphira, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. 
Now, Judas Iscariot can be a lost man flattering God with his lips, not deceiving the Lord, by the way, but flattering others with his lips and deceiving a bunch of people. Putting on a good show. Making do like you really know the Lord when you don't. I think it's a tragedy that Judas knew the Lord and and knew more about the Lord than you and I do physically. Knew his miracles firsthand. He was right there. Was partaking of Jesus' miracles. Was there with the 70. Was there with the 12. Kept the bag. And yet he died and went to hell. That's the tragic consequence. And the tragic consequence of Ananias and Sapphira is that they ruined their testimony and they missed out on a life full of service to the Lord. And they're not going to give a good answer at the judgment seat of Christ. So you have Judas who is unsaved trying to flatter God and deceive him. And you have two Christians, Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, trying to deceive God. And the tragic consequence is, is manifold of what they're experiencing. I guarantee you, God, it wasn't God's will for them to lie. And it wasn't God's will for them to die when they did. It was God's will for them to live a life fully given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice number four and finally a true correction. Would you say it with me? A true correction. Say it again, please. A true correction. I don't want to have the tragic consequence. I don't want to have temporary cover. I don't want to maintain total corruption. Isn't it exhausting living in the flesh? Pretending? Let's play pretend. Now, little girls play pretend, and sometimes boys play pretend, and uh, that's fine for a little kid game, but it's not fine for adults that say they know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world sees through all that pretend, by the way. Listen, the the true correction is the word of God. Listen to the answer to the strange woman. There are plenty of strange women out there. Some of you teenagers are saying, yeah, I know my sister's one. We're not talking about that kind of strange. We're talking about strange to the Bible and strange to the word of God and strange to what is pure and decent and modest and right. Listen to the antidote to the strange woman and her flattery. Proverbs 7, 1 through 5. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Now, I was memorizing Proverbs 5, a part of Proverbs 6, and Proverbs 7, which I recommend any man in here to do. And I got to thinking one day, look at what it says I ought to do with God's word. First of all, the answer to the strange woman and the antidote to the strange woman is the word of God, the truth. The answer to a lie is a truth. The longer I live, the less I care what people think about me when I speak the truth. Because the answer to a lie is the pure, unadulterated truth. Not dancing around to it, not gliding into it, not giving us fragrant roses. Just give the truth. That'll answer a whole lot of problems. Just speak the truth. And so here, the answer to the truth is to bind them upon our fingers. Write them upon the table of our heart. Make them the apple of thine eye. Call understanding thy kinswoman and thy sister. What is he doing? He's saying, get your heart so wrapped up with the word of God and your fingers so wrapped up with the word of God and your eyes so wrapped up with the word of God because if you don't, the strange woman's coming after your eyes and the strange woman's coming after your heart and the strange woman's coming after your fingers and the strange woman's coming after your relationships. So fill your life with the word of God so there's no room for the strange woman. 
No room for flattery. And you can see it a mile away. Proverbs 20 and verse 19, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. What's the antidote? What's the answer to flattery? What's the true correction? Number one, fill your life with the word of God. Number two, don't meddle with them that flatter. Get away from those that flatter. Do like I said last night and take your wallet out of your back pocket, put it in your front pocket and keep your hand there and walk away. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You want mercy? You lay bare your heart and your heart before the Lord. You want judgment? You try to cover it up. If you, here's the, the scripture's truth. If you want trouble from God, cover your sin. And God will painfully pry back your arms and your fingers and uncover you for who you really are. You want mercy? You uncover yourself bare before God and get honest with God. And God will cover up all your sins. What a God. Not cover it up, but cleanse it and wash it away. In Proverbs chapter 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, speaking of true and godly sorrow, it says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves, 2 Corinthians 7, 11. Yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. Wow, that's real repentance. And by the way, that passage is speaking of repentance to the Christian. And he says, if you're truly sorrowful and truly showing godly repentance, you're going to have these characteristics. You're going to have carefulness. You're going to have a clearing of your name. You're going to have indignation. That's a, it's an anger against sin. You're going to have a fear of, of failing and falling again. You're going to have vehement desire to follow the Lord. You're going to have zeal and revenge. It's the one time in the Bible when God says, take vengeance against your sin by true godly repentance. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 through 6, But as we're allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Paul said, I could have come in throwing my weight around as an apostle, but I didn't want to be burdensome and I didn't seek glory and I didn't use a cloak of covetousness and I didn't use flattering words. Spurgeon said, any thief will whine out repentance if he thinks the judge will thereby be moved to let him go scot-free. Mr. Preacher, what are you aiming at tonight? Total sincerity before God. I want revival. And I want to leave a trail of revival in my wake. You know how that happens? When we all get honest. Revival, just like the gospel, begins with the truth. Is God speaking to you tonight? Speaking to you to leave some of the follies of sin and resign them for the Lord? Speaking of some way you've been appearing good on the outside and with your words, but hiding corruption on the inside. Let's abandon that. Let's be a church body that says we're going to love the truth and we're going to hate a lie no matter where we see it and no matter where we find it and especially if it's in our own life. Because we don't want anything to do with the kisses of flattery. Would you bow with me in prayer? 
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'd like to ask just a few questions tonight. I want to ask who say, preacher, God spoken to my heart. There is an area or more than one where God has spoken to me tonight about some area where I'm insincere, where there's not truth in the inward part. 